be with you guys this morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Well, thank you for your prayers. Uh, our trip to Jordan and Iraq was, was, was just a powerful experience. I want to show you some pictures in just a minute. Um, and you guys helped make that possible through your prayers and your love and supporting the ministries that are over there. I uh, also want to thank you for your uh, future prayers. There's a group of seven of us leaving right after this service to go to northern Kentucky to minister to uh, an area of northern Kentucky that's very um, uh, much a part of our hearts, very much in need, and uh, we're excited about going there and just sharing the love of God and, and uh, loving all these folks and, and uh, ministering to them uh, the love of Jesus. But uh, let me show you a couple of pictures from our trip. Uh, thank you for your uh, indulging on this. But uh, So this was a trip to Jordan and Iraq, and uh, go to that next one. Um, so some of you guys have been to the Holy Land. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, and of course, this is Israel right here, and this is the country of Jordan. And uh, let's do the next slide. Uh, so we flew into Amman from Chicago, so from Atlanta to Chicago, and then Chicago straight to Amman, which was a 12-hour flight. So that was, whew, that was wearing me out. Uh, but anyway, uh, so Amman is where we were working most of the time. And then we came down to Madaba, which is right here, about a 45-minute drive southwest of there. There's a place called Fuhez. We'll talk about that. That's just west of Amman. So when we were ministering in Jordan, that's kind of where we were. Next slide. Uh, but then we flew up to Iraq. We flew from Amman to Erbil, which is up here. And this is the northern part called uh, Kurdistan. So the Kurdish people, uh, this whole area up here, um, at one time the Kurds lived uh, as their own nation. And then after World War II, uh, Iraq got part of Kurdistan, Iran got part of it, Turkey got part of it, and then Syria got a little bit of it. Turkey and the Kurdish people, boy, there's just a lot of fighting there. But uh, this part of Iraq, the interesting thing, and here's Baghdad, but uh, Iraq has allowed the Kurdish people to, to be autonomous, and they can have their own government under the Iraqi government. But anyway, they, they, they elect their own officials, they do their own thing, which is kind of great. So this is in the area of stability. This is a, a whole lot more stable than anything else in Iraq. And so when ISIS was coming through and just devastating all of this area, burning everything, bombing churches in 2014. That's why most of these uh, Christians that lived in this area all through here, they fled to Jordan because Jordan opened their borders. But once ISIS started getting into this area, the Kurds were just fighting them and just saying, no, you're not coming in here and, and destroying our country, uh, our land, our cities. And so there wasn't as much damage done up here, a lot of damage down in the southern part, but not as much up here. And so that's kind of where we were. Uh, we flew into Erbil, and then we started looking at um, some of the northern towns there. And when, our, when we were in Iraq, we really met with a lot of the mayors of different towns and some of the higher officials. And we said, what can we do to help you guys? What is your greatest need? Uh, we have a foundation. We don't have a lot of money, but we can plug into the United States and, and make appeals. But what, what are your needs? So that's really what we did up there. I was hoping we could go to some of the chicken farms that you guys helped uh, create and some of the other businesses that we started. But I found out those were more down in this area and uh, Karakash and places like that, and that wasn't quite as secure, so we didn't go down there. But we saw videos of the updated chicken farms. Everything is going great. Uh, we're so blessed to be able to help these families start these businesses back up. This part of uh, Iraq was known as, uh, or Karakash, that particular city, was known as Chicken City because they raised so many chickens. And then ISIS came and wiped everything out, and now they're starting to regain some of that back because of your help and others. Let's go to the next slide. So when we uh, were up in that area, one of the towns we met, uh, we were in, uh, I can't remember how to pronounce that, Shere Khan, I think, 
Uh, we met the mayor, which was a, a blessing, and uh, he, he hosted us for a while. And then we went to this refugee camp. There were 3,000 people that lived in this refugee camp. Some of these boys and girls were born there. They've been there over seven years. It's a UN uh, camp. People live in tents, and they've been living in tents for, for seven years. And so we spent time talking to some of these folks. And then the next slide, my, one of my highlights was this is the mayor of the town. Um, Max Wood said he looks like John Wayne's son. I don't know. But anyway, I looked at him online. He's a handsome fellow and looks like, yeah, so he does. But anyway, uh, he's very, very hospitable and everything and just a lot of hospitality. But this group of boys and girls just kind of gathered around us. And, of course, I didn't speak their language, but he did. So I started talking to the little kids, you know, tell me your name. How old are you? What do you like to do? And, and we just, for probably about 45 minutes, the mayor and I just got to hang out with these kids and talk to them about making good choices and, and caring for people well. And, you know, here's the mayor of your town, and he is here to, to, to say, you know, um, uh, you guys matter and that type of thing. And I, and I said, have y'all ever met anybody from America? And they're like, no. I said, well, now you have, you know. And so we, we had a great time with these little kids. A lot of fun. Then it got dark on us. We had to leave. Uh, next slide. But uh, we just had a great time up there. Then we went back to Jordan. And uh, we work with four churches there. This is Father Benjamin, and he is with the Syrian Orthodox Church. So we meet with a Syrian Orthodox Church. We'll sh I'll show you a picture of the Nazarene pastor, uh, Father Zaki, a uh, full gospel church, and then the uh, Greek Catholic. So those four different denominations we are working with to help the refugees that have fled from Iraq that live in Jordan. Father Benjamin uh, was a delightful person. I met him two years ago on that trip that we went in 2019. Uh, just had a great time. Max and I actually went and worshiped at his church that morning. They do a mass, and so it's a lot of liturgy, a lot of chanting. He had the incense and everything like that. It's a totally different type of worship, but it was sweet and meaningful. Let's go to the next slide. Um, one of the things that we do is we provide uh, food coupons for the refugees. Because they can't work, the men aren't allowed to work. It's illegal. Even though Jordan opened their borders and they said, you guys can come here, but they didn't want any refugee men working because the Jordanians that live there, they need jobs and their unemployment is pretty high. So what we do is we have these food coupons, $25 and $50, and they can take these to some of the local grocery stores and buy food. So this is Helena Scott. Y'all might remember meeting Helena back in December of last year. She came and spoke, and, uh, and this is Max Wood, of course, our very own Max. He's the chairman of the organization, Foundation for Relief and Reconciliation in the Middle East, Freemi. Uh, so Father Benjamin was, was showing us the coupons. So then we did some home visits with Father Benjamin. These are some of the, the refugees that live in Amman. Uh, let's go to the next slide. And so that was the highlight for my trip. Oh, this is Father Zaki. We'll get to So he is at the Nazarene Church. And there's a picture right behind my head of our visit there two years ago. But anyway, the Nazarene Church is doing a great job. We're helping them with food distribution. Uh, they're doing a lot of things that we're doing at the Olive Tree Center. They're teaching English classes. They're teaching the women how to sew and letting, letting them sew. We're buying the sewing machines to help them do that. Um, and they're providing just lots of opportunities for um, growth and restoration. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is Father Yu, the Full Gospel Church in Madaba, which is like south that I showed you. While you guys were worshiping here two Sundays ago, we were at an evening service uh, in this Full Gospel Church. And because it's a seven-hour time difference, it was the exact same time. So 11 o'clock here was 6 o'clock there, and we were worshiping at the same time. So when I preached and I greeted everyone in your name, in the name of Martha Bowman, I said, they are actually worshiping back in Macon, Georgia, at the same time we're worshiping. So uh, that was really kind of special for me to know you guys were in here worshiping the Lord, and we were up there, uh, way over there, worshiping the Lord. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, so here are some of the refugee families that we met. Uh, 
This man was a mechanic back in Iraq. He, he can work on anything and fix anything. He's the most delightful guy you'll ever meet. His wife, unfortunately, has cancer, so we're helping with her medical bills. Uh, here are his three children. Uh, his son is a great soccer player. They call it football. He loves to play soccer. She's a good singer and artist. And this sweet little girl, uh, she's lost her hair because she's been so stressed and it's been so, uh, it's a medical condition where she's just lost her hair, so she didn't want to expose her head. But anyway, I had a, a great time meeting this family, encouraging them, giving them a food coupon. Let's go to the next slide. Um, the next family, uh, so this gentleman here has got a scar from here to here. ISIS came through. I don't want to gross you out, but they cut him, they just cut him wide open. And, and they beat, he's got scars all over his legs. They beat his legs so he couldn't walk away, couldn't find help. He was just laying there dying, and people came up to him after the group left. And they, they got him to a hospital and got him stitched up, and he's alive. They killed his wife, this sweet woman here, same thing, they killed her husband. They have seven children between them, and they met, and they said, well, how do we care for our kids? And they said, well, let's get married, I mean, they have a good marriage, let's get married and let's raise our kids together. Um, these girls have a great voice, uh, his name is Carlos, <laughs> kind of a Spanish name, Carlos, great kid, uh, but they go to um, Father Benjamin's church, so when Max and I went and worshiped there, they, uh, most of the girls were singing, and Carlos was one of the acolytes, which was kind of cool. But anyway, they, they are doing the best they can, and, uh, and he's just as grateful to God that he's alive as anybody you'll ever meet, but he's, he's, uh, he's just suffering from just the, the abuse that came through that area. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, one of the things that was a, a blast was the fact that we opened the Olive Tree Center two years ago, and, and our group that went was able to be there, uh, and this is in Madaba, and we uh, celebrated a two-year anniversary, and so Max wanted to do this native dance, and so there's a native dance that they do uh, from Iraq, and, and it's a very complicated step, and he was kind of getting it down. Then they switched the step to a different kind of dance, and he said, my two left feet really showed. I've got two left feet, and I, didn't even, I wasn't even bold enough to get up there and dance. But we had a great time uh, with the celebration. This is Victor. Victor was in charge of a camera crew that we took over there to help uh, document some of the stories of the refugee family so we could uh, make an appeal to the American people. Just had a great time watching Max dance. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Uh, so Helena teaches back at the Olive Tree Center. She teaches an English class, and so there's four or five English classes going on during the week. So I went with her, and this is the group of, of folks that were uh, learning English. Uh, these two girls are sisters right here, and this is a young lady that you might have heard about before. Her name is Ravine, and uh, when she was in Iraq and ISIS was coming through, there was an explosion, and she's got shrapnel in her neck, and she's got it in one of her legs still to this day. But she makes the beautiful mosaics that you see um, all over there. So these three girls are called the Hope Sisters. They, they bring hope and help and healing, and so they just kind of... In the midst of the, the difficult life situation they're in, they decided that they're going to bloom where they're planted. And they are just the most delightful three girls you'll ever meet. Uh, and they just are, are loving people and bringing hope and healing in the name of Jesus. Uh, but it was fun to help teach that class. And uh, it, they have a hunger to learn English, which is great. Let's go to the next slide. So this is one of the girls. Her name is um, Feta. And here's some of the mosaics that the girls make. Here's some of the sewing. Uh, so, of course, we buy the sewing machines and we provide materials. Uh, one of the Americans took a lot of material over there. Uh, and so she was just showing us some of the mosaics that they make at the Olive Tree Center and some of the wor work they do with the sewing. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, so her family invited us to eat, so we had a great time. This is our camera crew. Uh, and there's uh, Victor that I showed you. Uh, here's one of the girls, and there's the three Hope sisters. Uh, this is her brother. 
and uh, her mama here and her dad. Her dad is in charge of, not in charge, but he's one of the men. Uh, one of the things we did at the Autry Center was we uh, helped to uh, buy materials so the men could do woodworking, saws and different things like that. So they build benches, they build all kind of things. It's really impressive what they do. And their father's one of the guys that works in the woodworking shop. Let's go to the next slide. This is her brother. He, he's learning uh, the guitar at the Olive Tree Center. He, he played some songs for me. He's getting really, really good. So it was encouraging to see that. Let's go to the next slide. So this man had open heart surgery, bypass surgery, quadruple bypass surgery. Uh, of course, he couldn't afford that. And uh, so the, the foundation helped pay for uh, his surgery. Uh, his wife sews. She's got a sewing machine back there. Uh, her, their son is just delightful. He uh, wants to go to the university and study. Uh, this is Helena again, uh, and so we just went to visit him. Uh, she gave us uh, three dolls, uh, one for my granddaughter, our granddaughter Claire, one for Ellie, and one for Fran. So wasn't that sweet? But Fran gave her doll to Mary so they, they could have all, their, all the dolls. But anyway, that was sweet of them to, to, uh, for her to give us the dolls. And, and just he is learning English. He's one of the folks that's in the, one of the English classes at the Olive Tree Center and uh, is just so, so precious, has a sweet spirit, loves Jesus, Grateful to God to be alive, but also this that God's provided for him in the midst of the, the horrible situation they're in. Let's go to the next slide. So this is the fourth church we work with. It's the Greek Catholic. This is uh, Father Bolus. This was one of the benches that the men made. It says uh, the Marie Hope Garden. And so there's a lady that lives, I think, in Illinois, and she found out that some of the men, uh, if they garden, they can help provide food for their families. And so... This is in Fujez, which was kind of west of, of uh, Amman. But anyway, um, they cleared out some of the land that the church owned that was just not useful at all. But the men got in there and cleared it out. And she provided the resources for them to start a garden. So we had a garden dedication that day. And so here's the bench that's going to go in the garden, which is great. Uh, but they do food distribution. They do a lot through the Catholic church there. They have a school. Uh, they're just doing great work there. Let's go to the next slide. Now, can you click this to see if the video will run? Here's the native dance that, that Max was doing. This is just at that church, though. I don't know if it'll work. But they'll do this dance for hours, apparently. Will it click? It won't click? Okay. Well, anyway, uh, if it did click, these guys, are, they are really getting down. It's really, it's really funny. So here's the lead guy. He's got a baton. And so they hold hands, and they do this dance, and they go back. It's, real, it's really fun, and he's spinning the baton, and the music's going, and all of a sudden they go, Aah! it's just it's really cool. But anyway, so they were really cutting the rug. It was kind of fun. And Max actually got out there and danced with this group too, so I was real proud of Max. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is part of the garden. So uh, these are some of the men that are going to be the gardeners. This is Father uh, Bolus. This is Susan Greer, who's the executive director uh, for American Freemie, and they, they painted... Uh, Garden of Hope there. Let's go to the final slide. Well, that's, that's part of the garden as well. Next slide. Well, there's Max and me uh, flying back to Georgia. I'm so grateful for the prayers and all the good things that are going on. I could talk for you two days about it, but just uh, anyway, very, very grateful. So, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So, uh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, you know, there is no place like home. If home is good and healthy and, and whole, which God wants all the homes to be. Um, but, you know, going to another culture and another country, it's always wonderful to, to meet folks and, and learn their culture and appreciate the great things and things that they celebrate. But to be able to come back here to the United States and be able to see my sweet wife and, and be with you guys again, I, there is truly no place like home. And, uh, 
And that make, makes me think of the sermon series, uh, You Belong Here. And, and we are looking at the book of Ephesians and, and uh, the truth, some of the truths that Paul wrote to the church. But our theme scripture comes out of chapter 2, verse 19, uh, using the message translation. Uh, and Paul writes to the church and says this, You belong here with as much right to be named Christian as anyone. Because they came from all different kind of backgrounds, uh, not just the Jewish tradition, but, but all kind of backgrounds. And they believed in Jesus. They became Christians. And he says, you have the right to follow Jesus like anybody else. And then he says, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. So that's our theme scripture. We want to encourage you to, to just realize that you have a place here, that God has a place for every single person he's ever created whether they accept him or not and receive that forgiveness and be a part of the church family or not, there is a place for every person. So your neighbors, if they're not involved in a congregation, if they don't have a church family, a church home, there's a place God's created for them. Uh, Paul uh, writes in another place that God uh, places each member in the body, the church, like the body of Christ, as he sees fit. So there's a place that God wants each person to plug into. There's a place that God wants each person to, to thrive and to grow in their faith and to be a part of a community that can lift them up when they're struggling or to help celebrate when they're doing great or to be a part of that encouragement for someone else. God's got a place for each one of us and wants us to plug in to that, uh, to that place. Uh, this morning we're going to look at a passage from chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians, uh, verses 14 through 21, and it's in your bulletin. But if you ever wonder, you know, what, what do I pray for someone? How can I pray uh, for this person that I love? Um, this is a great prayer that Paul writes and then says, this is how I'm praying for you guys. This is what I'm hoping for you. This is, so it's a, it's a prayer that I've used through the years, but I think it's a great prayer also for us to just think about praying for our family. Think about praying for our coworkers. Think about praying for our neighbors. Think about praying for me and that kind of thing. Uh, and I want us to unpack it this morning with the time we've got left. But uh, it's just, just a powerful, powerful way of, of just upholding one another. So if you've got your bulletin there or if you're watching online, uh, you can see it on the screen. But Paul starts off in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth drives its name. So who is Paul talking to? Who is God praying? Who is he praying to? He's praying to God the Father, and God the Father who created each person, each individual, and every family name is derived from, from God who created us and uh, put us in a certain time in history, in a certain place in the world. And so he's saying, to God our Father, I'm, I'm lifting up these prayers. And then he says this, that he, that God may grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, and God's riches are, are infathomable, they just, you, we can't comprehend the depth and the, and, the, and the greatness of his riches, but he may grant to us, according to his riches, first thing, to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. So the first prayer that he prays, or one thing we pray is, Lord, strengthen them in their inner being, in their inner man, through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we've talked about this before, but in Luke 18, when Jesus, verse 1, when he, says, when he talks about prayer, and, he, and he, he gives this parable, and he talks about that we should always be praying, and praying so we don't lose heart, uh, that idea of losing heart has the same concept of being strengthened in our inner man. I've talked about this before. But uh, if you take a container, like I just drank this water this morning, there's air on the outside, right? And there's air on the inside, and it's the same pressure right now. 
But if more pressure is exerted on the outside of this than what's on the inside, what happens to this container? It collapses, right? So I'm going to do that. I'm going to exert more pressure on the outside than is on the inside, and we'll see what happens to it. It just, it just crushes, right? It collapses. And so Paul knows, God knows that he's created us and that there's pressure on the outside from all types of things, from our peers, from society, from, from the devil. There's, there's pressures that are coming against us that wants to either destroy us. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So, so there's this pressure to conform to the world. Paul writes to another church and says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we don't want to conform to what the world is doing. We want to conform to what God wants us to do, to be Christ-like. So when the pressures to succumb to what somebody is asking you to do that might not be godly, if we are strengthened in our inner being, then we can resist the temptation to fall into what everybody else is doing that might not be as constructive as it should be or might be uh, very harmful or might be immoral or it might be ungodly whatever it might be um, uh, so we can resist that I know especially for my girls when they were growing up and I still pray for them this way but Lord just give them the inner resolve to be able to withstand the temptation to fall in line with what everybody else is doing if they're going down the wrong path and so there's this inner strength that we have this ability to withstand whatever it might be that wants to destroy us or wants to lead us down a path that's, that's going to destroy us eventually or, or get us in trouble with the law or whatever it might be, when you and I are strengthened in our inner being by the Holy Spirit, we have that ability to withstand that, to, to stand on our own. Uh, you know, if you receive criticism and then you, and then you give into that and you kind of do what everybody else is doing, then, then we, we haven't withstood, we haven't been strengthened in our men. Um, I know people that um, get picked on and they, and they get criticized a lot of times and then they want to lash back out. They want to, you know, get back at them, repay evil for evil. And God says, no, don't repay evil for evil. Let, let God do the repaying and you just love one another, live at peace with one another. Don't respond harshly if someone is harsh to you. The golden rule, treat others, right, the way you want to be treated. Treat, treat people the way you want them to treat you. Don't treat them the way they've treated you kind of thing. So this first prayer is wonderful, but Lord, strengthen us in our inner, in our being. The next thing uh, that Paul prays uh, says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Finally, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he says, Lord... Uh, let Christ dwell in their hearts that they may be rooted and grounded in love. Now, when we think about in the Western world, how do you become a Christian? Well, you, you pray and you ask Jesus into your heart. Y'all heard that before, right? And that's kind of where this comes from. In other words, we want Jesus to come and to reside, to be at home in us. And that's kind of what that word means, to, to, to uh, dwell in our hearts, to be at home in our hearts, to feel comfortable enough in our hearts that, that, that he makes his abode with us. Now, in that, to me, there's lots of things that come to mind. One is if Christ is in my heart, then he is center. He is the most important, the most valuable thing to me. Jesus said where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. So, so not only have I valued Christ, not only is he in my heart, but, but he's the number one thing for me. 
if he's at home and comfortable in our heart, and I know God is pure, Jesus is pure, then that means I'm allowing the impurities, the things that offend him, uh, to no longer be a part of who I am. So I'm moving on to maturity, and I'm, I'm, I'm allowing the attitudes and the, and the feelings and the, the mindset and all that to fall in line with what would make Christ comfortable, what would honor him, what would, what would be Christ-like in my life. So I'm letting the work of the Holy Spirit continue to, to root things out of my life that aren't godly if Christ is in my heart and he dwells there and he's comfortable there. So if uh, you want to evaluate what you do, what you think, how you live, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, and you lay it on the grid of, of what would make Christ happy, what would fall in line with what the biblical model teaches about how to be ethical and all those kind of things, then we can make a decision, that, oh, this isn't good, or I need to get rid of this, or this attitude isn't right. Now, last week when Fran talked about you know, uh, not letting anger rule in our life and, uh, and, and, and not being uh, consumed by that. You know, there's, there's a, a godly indignation toward things. There, there's a, a thing that uh, you see injustice and you want to do something about. Maybe you get angry about that. And that, and that is a good way of, of, of responding to that emotion. But then there's other things that we want to do and not let anger rule us so we don't lash out with bitterness and, and anger and force in the sense of, of destructive. And so Christ dwells in our hearts and, and we're rooted and grounded in love, then, then we can respond in a godly way. And we allow anger to come and, and help fuel the fire to do what is good, to do what is right, to motivate us to, to pursue uh, justice and, and things like that. So we want to let Christ... Uh, dwell in our hearts, abide in our hearts, and we want to live by his teaching so he is honored and he's at home in our hearts. He, uh, he goes on to say that, uh, that we are rooted and grounded in love. And I love this idea of being rooted and grounded, that, that we're securely settled. In everything we do, we do it out of care for one another, love for one another, compassion for one another. Uh, that 1 Corinthians you know, 13, 4 through 8 is a great passage to, to help us understand what Paul uh, is talking about when it talks about love, what God is talking about but being patient toward one another, kind toward one another, not, not being uh, easily provoked into a, an argument or a fight. But when we respond in love, then we're responding in a way that God would respond, and we open up the door for God to move on their behalf. Uh, I've talked about this before, but there's a pa the passage in Proverbs that says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up a quarrel. So if you respond in love, then many times you're responding with a gentle answer when somebody's coming at you with, with harshness. If somebody comes at you with venom and, and intensity, you know, and you respond out of kindness and out of, out of self-control and, and gentle, that gentle answer, it just has the power of God to just transform that situation. And instead of stirring up a strife or, or a fight, you can dissolve it. Now, we talk about uh, negative ways of communicating with couples that, that I do when I do premarital counseling, and one of those negative patterns of communication is called escalation. And if you always get in that type of pattern of, of communication, then it's going to be corrosive to your marriage. So escalation happens like this, blah, 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 and you just escalate. And your response is getting more intense. And, and then because you, that person has one-upped you and you're mad at them, then you pull out the dagger of something that happened before in the past that you know just gets their goat, and you jab them with that word. And it, things escalate, and, it, and it's corrosive to a relationship. It's destructive. So a gentle answer turns away that wrath. It doesn't allow things to escalate when it comes to responding to people. And so this is how we respond in love. If we're rooted and grounded in love and we truly care for one another, 
and we respond that because we're full of God, we, we've, been, we've been strengthened in the inner man, and the temptation is to lash out, to, to, to escalate. Ah, we resist that because we're rooted and grounded in love. Another part of that, uh, there's four negative communication patterns. One is negative interpretation. But if we're rooted and grounded in love, then we're going to interpret someone's actions, giving them the benefit of the doubt, giving them love. Instead of saying, well, that person always does that. Or you see how that person did that? Always interpreting their actions or their response in a negative way. Uh, the classic example there is, you know, there's a man who comes home and the garage door is always left open. And he gets so irritated because he, he wants his wife to keep the garage door shut. So when he comes home, the it's like, oh, you know, he's so mad. And finally he talked to her one day and, and she said, well, honey, I, I know you come home at this particular time. And I wanted you to be able to pull right into the garage. And so that's why, I, you know, about 10 minutes before you come, I'm, I, I raised the garage door. But he negatively interpreted that like, oh, she just can't remember to do that. It's all this negative stuff. People do that all the time. But if we're rooted and grounded in love, then we have the ability to say, oh, let me understand rather than to be understood. Let me, help me to, to make the first step toward reconciliation instead of expecting them to come and, and say they're sorry, that type of thing. Being rooted and grounded in love. And then he goes on to say, verse 18, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. As we conclude this prayer, um, he says there's so much of God, there's so much to comprehend and to understand, and may we begin to continue to do that. May you continue to understand how vast and how great and how awesome God is and how much he cares for you. And then he goes on to say that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And that this knowledge of God, this feeling of God, has to do with an exper experiential it's ex something you've experienced. It's not something you've just heard about, but you need to hear about it. Amen. We need to, need to hear about it. That's why you're in church. One of the reasons you're in church is to worship, but also to continue to hear more and more about God, whether it's through conversations one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's through going to Sunday school or small groups, or whether it's through the preaching each Sunday, or whether it's through the singing and hearing the Word. But, but we're learning more and more of God, but we experience it. So you need to hear it, but then you need to experience it. So if you talk to these refugees from Iraq, they say, does God provide for you? Is God a provider? And they would say, oh, yes. Let me show you how, and let me tell you how he's provided for me. Even though I'm not in the country that I grew up in, or even though I'm not, this is how he sustains me. This is how he provides for me. This is how he's always there for me. And in the midst of their trauma, in the midst of their horrible experiences, they know because they've experienced God's provision. Now, the blessing is some of that provision is because of you and me, we're, the generosity of other people saying, I know they're suffering Brothers and sisters of Christ, they're suffering all over the world. I want to help meet that need. I want to help invest in that. I want to help do something good for someone else. And you give of yourself. You give of your resources. You financially support that. And they see God is providing for me, but he's using his people. Remember how he says, I'm building a house. I'm building a home. I'm the body of Christ and how all of us work together to care for one another. But it's this experience, experiential knowledge of God. And so what has God helped you walk through and you look back and go, wow, God was with me every step of the way. You've experienced that. So if someone ever questions you about something, you say, oh, well, let me tell you what happened to me. Oh, let me tell you how God met me here. Or let me tell you how faithful God is here. And, and it's so, so important that we experience that and we walk through. And we let the word of God inform us on who God is. We don't just make up this God in our own mind and in our own um, thoughts. 
And as this prayer concludes, I, I love this benediction. Uh, he goes this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, another translation says exceedingly abundantly, beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So this idea that Paul says, man, to God who's able to do it far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, what Paul's doing here is he's taking Greek words and he's just adding them one on top of the other, exceedingly abundantly beyond. He's saying, this God who loves you, this God who's building a house for you, this God who has a place for you, a home for you, a place for you to belong, he's doing more for you and more for you and more for you and what he wants to bless you with far exceeds anything you can ask or think. The other uh, Sunday night, the youth had something called a feast. It was a powerful evening, and so we, we sat down outside and we ate. We ate some good food, didn't we? And, and so they just kept bringing more and more and more. It was, it was not just crackers and, and, and cheese. I mean, it was, it was just this, almost this lavish banquet, and it was more than we could eat. We, we couldn't eat it all. And some of the guys have a good, healthy appetite, but it was just more and more. And what they were trying to tell our youth is that God has so much to bless you with. God has so much to show you about himself. God has so much he wants for you. It's more and more and more than you can even imagine or think. It's even further beyond that. And you might have a great imagination because God gives us an imagination. God gives us the ability to dream. But, but he is even more than that. He is even greater than that. And Paul's saying, I want you to experience that. I want you to know it, to know it, to know it. And then because you're rooted and grounded in love, you live it out and you share it with others. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.